is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Good morning and welcome to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight. The big voice guy said it, so it must be true. Tyler Aki is our producer. And we got an hour of White Sox and baseball talk for you this morning. Hi, Tyler. How are you? Waiting for baseball. Yeah, yeah we still all, are. We're all waiting for baseball. There's, you know, we'll get to some lockout stuff. We'll do a little bit of, um, we'll do a little bit of procedural things as it regards the lockout in Major League Baseball. But as has been our, our, our mission here on White Sox Weekly over the last, oh, I don't know, two to three months, trying to keep it upbeat. Trying to keep it positive. I, I get that a lot of baseball fans... Listen, I was in on the afternoon show on our flagship station, Waddle and Sylvie, all last week. And, you know, with Tom and with Mark, we talked a lot about Major League Baseball's lockout and where things are at. We heard from a lot of White Sox fans here on the station uh, on the phone number on the phone lines. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number you want to hang out here on White Sox Weekly. Um, but we heard a lot from baseball fans who are tired, you know, they're tired of the continued headlines of waiting and and not negotiating or negotiating, not getting really close on things and not getting really close on things. And if you do get close on things, they're things that don't really matter so much. And there are a lot of bigger fish to fry when it comes to these negotiations, or at least that's been the run of headlines over the last week, week and a half or so. The two sides will continue to negotiate today. There was a long day of negotiations, several rounds, three or four rounds, if memory serves, yesterday. And they got close on a few things, it sounds like. Remember that Monday, the 28th, is the imposed deadline for beginning to miss regular season games. Major League Baseball has already announced the cancellation of spring training games up until March 7th. So, even if we do get a deal done Monday, spring training wouldn't start any earlier and then March 8th, which wouldn't be a whole big deal. Actually, that'd be a win. It'd be a celebration, I think, for a lot of us. If we were just starting spring training on March 7th and having to deal with that, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. But as always, we remain hopeful. Like I said, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. You can follow me on Twitter at C1McKnight. You should follow at ESPN White Sox on Twitter as well. We tweet all of our broadcast and breaking news kind of stuff from there. You get a sense of what's going on here on the White Sox Radio Network. When Len and DJ are back in action, you get to interact with them through that Twitter handle as well. That's at ESPN White Sox. You're going to want to follow that. Sox fans, single game tickets are on sale now. Be here for it all and watch us continue to change the game in 2022. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312 674 1000. So, although no one on a 40 man roster is in camp yet, and the lockout is kind of the big headline around baseball, kind of, it's the big headline around baseball, minor leaguers are in camps. They've started spring training. Coaches and players are down there. They got uniforms and everything. It's kind of been nice to see everybody walking into the, walking into the, the, the facilities. You hear the clack of cleats. 
on the golf cart path as they head out to the backfields and do the things that baseball players do. Uh, the White Sox have their prospects in. Again, no one on the 40-man roster. Remember, in case you're you know kind of tuning in and tuning out of some of this lockout conversation, the lockout includes players who are on the 40-man roster. Those are the guys that are in Major League Baseball's Players Association. There are some caveats and some exceptions, you know, like some free agents who may or may not be signed to a Major League deal at the time. Those guys are, you know, few and far between. Either way, minor leaguers are eligible to report to camp, although there are some minor league issues related to the lockout that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but we've got players in camps. We've got baseball players throwing baseballs around. And we've got uh, prospects. We've got farm systems to talk about a little bit. I want to start there. Uh, and we're going to talk with James Fegan of The Athletic, one hell of a baseball writer and covers the uh, White Sox really well, has for a long time, won awards this offseason, did James. We'll talk to him at 9.30, get an update on some of the players that he's talked to. We'll talk a little bit about the lockout with James as well, um, but he's got a good handle on what's going on in those camps and some of those big-time prospects for the White Sox that they're excited about. That said, I do want to talk some about the farm system. I do want to talk some about the minor leaguers that have reported for the White Sox here this morning because that's what's going on. That's what we've got in action so we figured let's talk about the things that are happening and not the things that aren't. Chris Getz, the assistant general manager uh, to Rick Hahn, of course, who is the GM. He's also Getz's uh, director of player development, has spent a lot of time on the minor league side of things for the White Sox. Getzy is one of my favorite guys to talk to in that front office because he's generous with his time. He's a frequent guest on White Sox Weekly, and he, he really likes the... You know, the kind of the, the, the cutting edge, not to say other guys in the, in the White Sox front office don't, but Getzy and I have talked a lot about the cutting edge of player development, uh, about what it takes to get to a player, to, con, uh, to converse with a player about what needs to happen, what can change. You know, some of the old tried and true coaching methods and some of the new biomechanical stuff that we're seeing all over the league. Some of the really advanced, you know, cutting edge tech stuff that's around every major league ballpark right now, whether that's Rapsodo cams or wearable technology and tracking information, biomechanics stuff. Um, we've had some good conversations. That said, Getz talked with reporters uh, just a couple of days ago. I want to say, Tyler, was it Wednesday that Getzy, I think, had his... Uh, yeah, it was Wednesday. Wednesday, mm-hmm. he had the press conference. So there's been a couple of days since then. Um, but for the most part, just you know, guys in cages and taking ground balls and things like that since. Um, but... I thought Getz had a couple of interesting things to say about both the state of the White Sox system, the farm system, and about a couple of uh, high-profile players within it. Now, let's not beat around the bush. I I think we can be honest about this because of where the White Sox have been in their, you know, in their run of success here, back-to-back division, uh, back-to-back playoff appearances, a quest for back-to-back division titles once we get going here in 2022. The prospects, the big names... They are either on the roster and doing really well, for the most part, or traded away for pieces to help make a run in 2021. Talking about guys like Nick Madrigal, right? The White Sox farm system is ranked by just about every publication as one of the bottom three or four systems in baseball. Again, you can kind of understand why. The guys that they've needed have gotten up to the bigs. They have performed and they have produced 
for either the White Sox or other places that have brought big-time players or at least pieces that could have been pretty big, thinking about the Craig Kimbrell trade last year, uh, back to the White Sox to fill areas of need and, and in, in a lot of cases uh, to keep the White Sox elite in some of those positions. Still, there are a few guys, uh, some intriguing names in this White Sox farm system. There are guys with helium, as we like to say, you know, kind of those kind of middle draft round prospects or some international signees that have, you know, an eyebrow raised when they do ink with the team. And then they spend a couple of years in the system and all of a sudden you look up and it's like, oh, my gosh, this guy could actually he plays short and he's got a better contact rate than I thought he did. Or that raw power profile that existed for this kid. It, it's there, and he's actually taking breaking balls and, and, and taking his walks and becoming something of a, a better prospect than we thought he might be. There are those guys in that White Sox system. Gets talked with reporters, like Tyler said, on Wednesday and kind of gave a – this is probably one of the bigger chunks we'll play this morning. This is kind of the Chris Getz, what's the state of the White Sox system given what the system has been asked to do for the big league club – over the last three, four, or really even five systems, here's his five years, rather. Here's Chris Getz. Sure. I mean, the, the ultimate goal here is to, uh, like you said, supplement our major league club. Um, and we were, you know, very, very fortunate to have players step up last year, uh, whether it be Gavin Sheets, you know, Jake Berger, Romy Gonzalez, obviously Andrew Vaughn, uh, with perhaps a little bit of higher profile, even Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins. Um, you know, Ryan Burr, your mean Mercedes guys that, that, you know, not all those guys were, um, you know, high profile. And I say high profile in the sense of, you know, top of these rankings, but they certainly were able to contribute at our major league club with, with, with the injuries that we had, with the adversity that we were faced with. Um, and that, that's the ultimate goal when you're, uh, you know, managing the minor league system is to be able to provide, players for your major league club when a need arises, but also, you know, perhaps making trades to, to strengthen your major league club or strengthen the organization, you know, with the Connor Pilkingtons and the Bailey Horns, um, you know, guys, once again, that weren't at the top of the list, but certainly helped our major league club as we uh, went on to win a division title. So, you know, the system is a little bit different than, than perhaps it was in the, in the past couple of years, but we've got some really young talent, um, that have some ceiling and the expectations don't change. The standards don't change um, in regards to a, a um, how we teach the game um, and the demands that we put on our players. We believe in our development process. We, I believe in our, our instructors and, you know, with these young players coming off of a year that they didn't play in 2020, or at least most of them um, last year was about getting out and playing baseball um, but I, I'm very confident, you know, with this young crew that we have that we believe in, whether it be international signings or, or guys that we drafted in, uh, in 2021 are going to, you know, start getting the attention to perhaps, you know, change our, our standings. Um, but that really isn't the focus at all. It, it's, it's getting these guys out, uh, certainly want to reach their potential, but supplementing our major league club the best that we can. So while the White Sox focus in 2022 is going to be chasing down another division title, uh, you can hear Getz talk about really kind of development and continued uh, layering of that minor league system uh, over 2022 and probably into 23. The White Sox did have their top draft pick, Colson Montgomery, ranked at the top of their prospect list. 
on MLB Pipeline. Uh, you know, you can find a prospect rankings just about everywhere you look. I like Pipeline. It's good. BP is great. Fangraphs does a great job. I think Fangraphs just did their top 101 or top 110. I've yet to peruse that list after getting back from the honeymoon and everything, but that's that's a list that I'll go through, I think, probably before next week's show and kind of, you know, meld in or melt those lists together and kind of see where you feel and feel what you see. Colson Montgomery's ranked the number one prospect in the Sox system. Yoelki Cespedes, number two. Jake Berger, who you know, who you love. He's number three. Wes Kath, who was the second round pick of the White Sox in last year's draft. He's four. Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson, a trio of right-handed pitchers. Go five, six, and seven. Norhe Vera, who is also a right-handed pitcher, but I didn't group him in the same because Kelly and Dahlquist and Thompson have been kind of grouped together for a long time. Jose Rodriguez, probably the guy with the most helium in this White Sox prospect list, or at least that's what I've heard. And Brian Ramos are your top ten. So all that said, we've got a, a, another issue in and around some of the prospects that I find somewhat interesting, and it's not one that I thought of as I was listening to Getz's press conference just the other day. Um, we are hopefully close to getting a deal done between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. And even if it does take a little bit longer, once that deal gets signed, and we've been talking about this here at the network a lot, like whenever the lockout deal, uh, the CBA gets signed, it's full go, baby. I mean, it's like, it's like pedal to the floor, figure out what we need to get done, and, and hopefully we've got everything in place um, to just rock into a regular rhythm as soon as that deal gets done. Getz was asked a pretty similar question, you know, a question about that vein, about how quickly you press the gas pedal for some of these minor leaguers for when this deal hits. Here's Getz. Well, I think the, the real focus is, you know, the beginning of April, beginning of uh, whether it be a minor league season or major league season. This certainly is a uh, very important time, regardless of what camp uh, or when your first game really is, certainly on the pitching side that there's you need to have a proper build up to pitch in a competitive environment, like whether it be an inter-squad or an exhibition game. But uh, these guys are, are hungry to prepare for their seasons. Um, you know, you always need to monitor whether it be workload or intensity when you're in February. Um, you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourselves. Uh, you can get pretty excited, um, but you can kind of get ahead of themselves. And, you know, one of the primary focuses of our staff is to to, to, to pace this appropriately for our players so they can get out and have productive and healthy seasons. So the other part of this, the other part of the lockout that affects minor leaguers, I think as, as big as anything else, um, outside of you know salary and all that kind of stuff that may be negotiated in this next CBA, uh, but on the baseball side of things, on the actual playing side of things, the AAA season starts on April 5th. The Charlotte Knights are at Norfolk. On, Mar- on April 5th to start that season. Now, th- it's a possibility that there is no CBA before the minor league season, before the AAA season starts. To that end, the 40-man roster would be ineligible to play. That means 15 guys on that 40-man roster who would have been in AAA can't play at AAA because they wouldn't be collectively bargained in. Their rights, their optionability wouldn't be there. That means you got to fill AAA and you know, requisitely other levels with other players. Getz was asked about that facet of the lockout conversation yesterday, or rather Wednesday as well. Yeah, I mean, we you know you're always looking to to have enough depth um, going into to spring training because various things can happen. Um, you know, in 
you know, we're given uh, based on MLB rules, you've got the 190 players for the off season and 180 domestically for in season. And you, you want to take advantage of, of, of certainly those roster spots and signing players to fill up that roster to put together the best teams that we can and puts us in a position to make adjustments in the future if need be. So that's assistant GM Chris Getz. I've got two questions for you as we hit the break and keep things going here on White Sox Weekly. I want to know what your top priority for the White Sox is when the lockout ends. Could be a player you want signed, a trade you want made. Could be something different altogether. What's your top priority for the White Sox once the lockout ends or as soon as the lockout ends? And since we're talking prospects and we'll keep going with James Fegan at 935, what minor league White Sox player are you most interested in in 2022? I gave you the top 10 list. Maybe it's somebody off that list. What minor league White Sox are you most interested in in 2022? It's White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We're back with more here on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White White Sox Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Bleachers and Brews is back by popular demand. Grab your friends and head to Guaranteed Rate Field. Get one ticket and two beers starting at 27 bucks all season long. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash brew. It's White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Been talking a lot about the, uh, the state of the system. The minor leaguers for the White Sox, they're in camp. Nobody on the 40-man is. Obviously, that's because of the lockout. We'll get to news and notes. In a little bit here, this segment as well, and James Fegan of The Athletic, who covers the White Sox, is our guest at 9.35. We've been hearing from Assistant General Manager Chris Getz. He gave a uh, press conference on Wednesday, kind of updating everybody on where things are at as minor leaguers report to White Sox camp. Uh, Some of the top picks, well, pretty much everybody is there. The attendance has been really good. A couple of visa issues for guys. That's going to happen early in the season, regardless of what's going on with, um, you know, a pandemic or a lockout visa issue. If issues happen, that's just the way things work. But one of the questions, you know, we kind of talked about the state of the system or gets did and, you know, the kind of idea that at AAA, which starts April 5 for the Charlotte Knights, April 5th against Norfolk, it's possible that 15 guys who are on the 40-man roster and would be a AAA aren't eligible to go to AAA because the lockout would still be in existence. That got me thinking a little bit, and apparently it it got um, others thinking on this press conference some, about the state of minor league baseball now. You know, we've lost a level. There's no longer that, that rookie league affiliate for players to go to, things start at low A. There's complex leagues, I guess. But yeah, things start at low A. That's your biggest you know, full-season uh, affiliated baseball run. And that means that a lot of players were, you know, quote-unquote, aggressively promoted last year. You know, some kids that might have gone to a short-season affiliate or like a complex league and then short-season, or, or maybe even all three, some very rare, but some kids go, you know, that complex league and then a short-season, and they go up to low A or something like that if you've really got a lot of move. That happens, um, but for a lot, you know, 19, 20-year-olds, that kind of thing, you're, a lot of kids were given aggressive promotions, 
and had to go sort of find themselves. And because that affected the lowest level, it also affects the higher levels as you go up. But low A, Kannapolis, had a real tough time to start the season for the White Sox. And in in a lot of places, you saw this in low A, it was kind of tough for teams to find traction. Because so many players were so young and had not yet learned, you know, that whole play together kind of thing. How does this all work? What should I be doing? What does my coach want me to do? DJ talks about this all the time, right? Like, just get done what your manager is asking you to do, and you will find yourself in a better spot, right? Like, hit your cutoff, man, all that kind of stuff. That is actually fairly difficult. It's, 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 it can be tough uh, for 19- and 20-year-olds playing that first full-season run. So the Kannapolis Cannonballers uh, had young kids in the system who you might know, uh, Benjamin Bailey, James Beard, uh, DJ Gladney's on that team. Brian Ramos spent some time on that team. So did Jose Rodriguez. You know, a lot of guys who were, who were at that level. Some of those guys got promoted, but you know, just to, to give you a couple of names that you've likely heard in the system, those guys were there. The Kannapolis Cannonballers went 40-79, and 79, played a lot better late in the season, which makes sense, than they did early on. Getz was asked about those struggles, and I thought the answer was a really interesting one, especially given the fact that this is the new state of minor league baseball, that these kids, that level, um, is going to be populated by kids who haven't had the kind of experience that they had for the last, oh, I don't know, call it 30 years. We're in a different spot, and here's how Getz saw it. No, it, you know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head on, on a lot of the things that you said. I mean, they, those players last year had to just get out and get at-bats and get innings. Um, after not after not uh, playing in 2020, um, you know they, they that Canapolis team was um, you know one of the youngest teams, one of the youngest affiliated teams in baseball, and and certainly uh, they showed that at times. Um, but but going through what they did, I think is only going to help them in the future. Um, and you know when we're talking about setting that team up for this year, um, we've got players that. That, that certainly we would prefer to be there than, than in the complex. Um, and, you know, you, you want to balance those teams to, to be as competitive as possible, uh, understanding that, uh, you know, those players are, are going to need some time to develop. I think uh, the quality of defense is something that that, that is going to be focused on when putting together those teams, um, just to make the games as crisp as possible. Um, and based on the personnel that we have, I think we're going to be able to do that. Again, that's White Sox assistant general manager Chris Getz. Uh, one of the guys that, um, you know, well, the top prospect in the White Sox system is Colson Montgomery. He's the uh, shortstop drafted out of high school in Indiana. Two-star sport. I mean, really kind of a three-star sport. He was, I think, the starting quarterback for his high school, his freshman season, and then gave that up because uh, he was more focused on basketball and baseball, and you can't do everything well. I mean, this guy probably can, but you can't do everything well. So he switched to hoops. He had flirted with the idea of going to IU and being a ball player and trying to walk on the basketball team. That's how good he is uh, at both sports. Ended up going professional baseball. He turns 20 relatively soon. He is the top prospect in the Sox system. He goes 6'4", bigger guy, and he's putting on. That's kind of the big assignment for Colson in his first season. He played a little bit rookie ball last year. He hit three ninety six in 94 bats. Slugged 362. So looking to get to some of that power, but that's pretty typical for kids who come from that high school level up to that rookie ball. I mean, that stroke doesn't come around. Struck out 22 times, walked 13 times, and had seven doubles, did not homer. Uh, sorry, had 287 average, 396 on base, 362 slug. So yeah, pretty good, pretty good first couple of 25 games. Either way, 
Here's Getz on White Sox top prospect Colson Montgomery. Yeah, Colson's a you know he's a gifted athlete. Um, you know he, he's you know and it's well documented his focus on both basketball and baseball, and now it's going to be certainly primarily baseball. Uh, you know the more I'm around. You know, Colson, the more impressed I, I am with his presence, his confidence, um, you know, and that's off the field, but certainly how he carries himself on the field. Uh, you know, he, you know, he's, he's always under control. There is no panic. Um, you know, you, you, when you draft shortstops or up, up the middle type players, you're looking for certain qualities. And I, and I feel like Colson has that, um, you know, we, we know that, the amount of baseball he's played might be a little bit less than, than some other players that, that come into our system. But uh, Colson is, is, is pretty polished. He really is. And I, I noticed that uh, in our scouts did as well when he was an amateur, but uh, you know, on the professional side and what he accomplished last season in Arizona and being around him in various mini camps, uh, this guy, although he perhaps hasn't played as much as other people, I feel like he's, He's going to catch up quickly and accelerate uh, and look forward to what 2022 to 2022 season holds for him. But Colson's got a uh, he's got a sweet swing. He stays through the baseball. He, he's under the control in the box, um, which is not surprising just based on, you know, his temperament in general um, uses the whole field. And then on the defensive side. You know, he's a bigger guy. Um, you know, you know, you don't see too many guys w- with his size. Um, at the shortstop position nowadays, um, but there are examples. So there's guys historically, and we believe based on, you know, his foot speed, um, his ability to, to use the, or see the field and in, in the, the strong arm that he has, that he's going to be able to, to, to be, a, uh, be a shortstop in this game for a long time. Again, White Sox assistant general manager Chris Getz. Sox fans, you can completely customize your 2022 season with a 10-game ticket plan that fits your schedule and budget. Don't miss any of the action to come. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Our guest for White Sox Weekly is James Fegan. He covers the Sox for The Athletic. He's up next. I'm Connor. You got ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the home of the White Sox. We're on twitch.tv or the Twitch app. Follow us at ESPN 1000 Chicago. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We've got the perfect space for you and your group. Learn more about our party areas, including diamond suites or a patio party. Start the planning. Start planning your outing to the ballpark today. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. If you've been listening to White Sox Weekly at all over the last year, you know how much I love the party area, the patio area. It's a good time. Been there uh, once or twice myself, and I don't get to get out there as much as I'd like doing the pre- and post-game show and sometimes filling in for Len, but I, I see you all out there on the patio, and it looks like you're having one heck of a time. So good on you. Looking forward to getting back to that once the lockout is over. Um, talking a lot about the White Sox farm system since they've got uh, a full-on – can you have a full mini camp? I, I guess you can. I know somebody I should ask about that kind of, um, I guess that would be oxymoron, right? A full mini camp. James Feagan covers the White Sox for The Athletic. He does one heck of a job. 
Uh, he wrote in the update about four days ago that the White Sox have a minor league minicamp running with about 60 players invited. Some notable exceptions, but we've got ball players doing ball player things. Hi, James. How are you? Thanks so much for hopping on the show today. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, congrats on the nuptial. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Congrats on your hardware. Uh, we've got congratulations to go around, I think. It was, there was no hardware. They just made an Instagram post. That was, that was it. You can't get that turned into an NFT? <laughs> Connor, frankly, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't know how, and I don't know what one is. So can you have a full mini camp? Is that a thing? Like, Are we, are we satisfied with a full mini camp given the state of Major League Baseball and waiting and waiting for the big leaguers to get to camp? Are we, are we cool with this? Are we happy about it? Have you found places and things to write about? Uh, not a tremendous amount, but like, look at it this way. Uh, you take your, your MLB.com top 30 prospect list, for example, uh, not to endorse another outlet. Keith Law also did uh, a list for us. And it was uh, very the good. Athletic, it was very, very it good. was shorter. So it, it doesn't demonstrate my point as well. You take all the 40 man roster players off because they're in the players union. Uh, and you take off a couple of guys who, uh, are rehabbing major injuries and probably won't pitch this year. You have every member of that list currently in the mini camp so that makes it more full than maybe what was in january where it was a lot of like the, you know the really the top guys or you know someone like west cats who basically lives there uh so it, it feels like everybody you should be paying attention to other than obviously the uh and oscar Colas, who was only getting into the united states this week um so you have everybody as far as who's eligible to be there, uh, who you want to pay attention to this year, is mostly at that, that mini camp. So let's talk a little bit about Oscar Colas. Uh, he is not on many of the lists, only because he's, he's we've yet to see him. He hasn't played a lot of baseball over the last two years for, for mostly pandemic-related reasons. But what do you hear, what do you see about Colas, and what are the reasons uh, that he's arriving a little bit later than some of the other prospects, James? Um, they just are working through what they had to with, with every time, uh, you know, it's a Cuban defector. They had to, uh, get his work visa in order, uh, something that took, uh, a very long time with, uh, Yoki Cespedes and, uh, optimistically will not be as big of an issue with, uh, Colas. But I would say, you know, you talked about him not being on the list because obviously people haven't seen him play. Um, I, you know, he's a guy generally the ports are that if he had basically any, you know, game action or people had seen him play in a reasonable way since 2019 that the tools are in place that he could easily be the top prospect in the organization. And, you know, when I asked Keith Law, like, essentially, all right, <laughs> there are no top 100 White Sox prospects, but who could be uh, this year who could put themselves on the map, who has that talent to, that they basically just need to perform to kind of convince you that they're in this territory. And he topped it with, you know, Colas, that, you know, this, this is a guy who really could be the best uh, in the organization. It's just, you don't get a lot of, like, you know, plus, plus, lefty, raw power, yeah. uh, somebody who can uh, man a corner outfield spot very easily. So if it clicks in games, you know, really at all, not at all, you'd like to hit more than, you know, two home runs or something all year. But if it, if he's not dealing with this, maybe this gap in, um, experience that makes us fear that his hit tool isn't really going to click or that his approach is going to be a little off because we already know his trends on the aggressive side and he's easily somebody who could um you know take colson montgomery's number one spot from him what should we understand about his level of uh defensive capability um kind of unproven since you know he's gotten a lot better shape than probably the last time he was really seen playing defensively uh in japan so 
he could it, it it's not a ton based on experience it's a lot more just based on like he has decent speed he has obviously an arm where we were talking about him pitching in a legitimate way he's at 95 before um so it, it seems like that should be a guy who can be your right fielder uh he's mobile he's in, he's in great shape and he's got a cannon that's what you put in right field but as far as like how good he's going to be uh i i guess it's can't you it's really just raw tools at this point you know he could be you know jorge soler who seems like he should be better um than he is than he is at you know just looking athletically or he could be you know a, above average defender it kind of remains to be seen maybe that's one of the run, big reasons to kind of put question marks uh, on him as a prospect more you can just say definitively now he's the best prospect in the system Talk with James Fegan of The Athletic here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We played earlier, James, just kind of Chris Guess's uh, state of the system, just kind of that, uh, you know, his longer answer at the start of the press conference back on Wednesday. And I, I got to thinking a little bit about the, um, you know, some of the top-ranked arms that the White Sox have, Kelly, Dahlquist, Thompson, Vera, these kind of guys. And I, you know, last year did not go well for three of those four. Finding some, court, some sort of... Um, I don't know, an innings threshold, finding uh, uh, their ability to stay around and stay in starts particularly was something that challenged, I I think, a lot of those guys. Where are those four arms uh, as we get started? And and how aggressive do you think the Sox can be with them knowing that the workloads for some need to be thought about perhaps more than, uh, than other prospects? I don't think they can be super aggressive with Vera and Kelly because for both of those, uh, kind of embody what you're saying. I mean, they're more by choice because they were, it was his first real action as a professional, uh, at least as, you know, a professional from the MLB organization. Obviously, he pitched a lot with Siri Nacional. Uh, but it was around the 2025 inning base where now you're really kind of looking for them to do what Thompson and uh, Dalquist did last year, which was around 70, 85 innings. Uh, you know, they did around 20 something starts, both of them. It was a lot of. Like, Oh, hoping that like they show well enough that they are pitching, you know, four or five innings at the end of, in Winston Salem uh, at the end of the year, that would probably be, you know, a good progress for them. Certainly, if they are in control of what they're doing and the walks go down, uh, especially for Kelly, that that seems like uh, progress where you're starting to see some of the stuff back up to the results. Um, I think with Thompson and Dalquist, you're hoping more of, you know, they're going to probably start in Winston Salem was the plan. Um, you're looking for more, really a, a lot of production to back up what they are and for them to something finish like looking like good starters in double A who um, are on track to be somebody you can consider major league depth in some fashion by the end of 2023. I think that's, you know, I, I wouldn't expect them to like take anybody's spot in the rotation by then, but you want to, they want to be in range. We can start thinking of that territory where you're, you know, adding them to the 40 man roster and you're confident you're going to be able to use them after the end of next year. So I, I think big step forward is kind of demanded of all of them because without it or there's more struggles or more injuries, they kind of uh, you start wondering if they fall a little bit off the prospect radar after this year. But I, I think everyone is kind of trending optimistic that there's too much kind of stuff. There's too much athleticism in the case of Thompson and Dalquist. Uh, you know, and Vera's velocity is obviously ridiculous that you're going to see them start putting stuff together this year. One of the guys that we heard a lot about last year in spring training was Carlos Perez. And it's kind of funny because we heard about him because Tony Russo really liked him. And some other coaches in the system tended to really like this catcher. Um, where where are things with Carlos Perez? What is the Why why did the love affair happen last year? Do you expect it to continue uh, through this camp? 
he's a catcher who can hit and not necessarily like purely in the definition of like, he makes a lot of contact. He does not get overwhelmed in at bats. He has a good hit tool. He'll hit for a high contact rate. Um, so that, that seems like it provides a decent baseline for him to be a kind of a, a major league backup at some point. And he already has some decent, you know, catch and throw, um, ability. He, uh, I think the things you look for him that might hold him back from, you know, you know, the difference between him and Yasmani Grandal is, you know, instead of being an elite uh, power hitter and a framer, he's more below average in both those respects, which, you know, provides a decent gulf. But I think he's a guy, uh, it will be might be hard uh, for him to uh, show his framing chops improving this year because I think they're installing uh, the ABS and the Charlotte right. home ballpark. Right. But uh, I, I think he's a guy, especially this year, having finished – last season in AAA can start factoring in your, your catcher depth. So right now you think of in terms of only like, is there a solid backup catcher in the, the mix of Zach Collins, Sebi Zavala, and your Mercedes? I think Carlos Perez, um, you know, if he's continuing on the trajectory he's been on, should insert his name in that group, um, you know, by the middle of this year even. Mike Rodolfo's on the 40-man roster. Uh, this is kind of a big season for him, knowing that he, he may well be out of options for the White Sox. Is that... Is this a guy that can play his way onto the roster? What what do we do? I know White Sox fans have been waiting and waiting. I mean, it seems like Mike Rodolfo has been around this roster forever because he kind of has signing as a 16-year-old. Um, but what should White Sox do in their minds with a young corner outfielder who looks like he can hit the ball a country mile um, but still looking to figure out that kind of patience and plate discipline? I have a hard time kind of squaring the circle for him. Like, I I think he, he played well at the end of uh, – last year in triple a um but i would say the big thing for him especially with the injuries he's gone through in his career and you know the fact that he's kind of you know, power bat who needs to refine the approach and get the, the swing and miss down to an acceptable level is that he just needs a ton of it back and this was 2018 2019 like the white Sox would be like yeah come on up struggle mm-hmm. for four months if you need to and, and we can give it to you and i i just don't see them having the kind of bandwidth to provide that option for him right now and already like you know i I think there's a you can definitely express the need to add a starter uh to the right field mix somebody who's proven on on top of uh gavin sheets andrew vaughn adam engel all the guys who could uh, factor in there i i have a hard time seeing like a significant role for somebody who's like a bench bat uh in that group uh, someone who's going to make a case to like be used situationally, and whether that's even like a that would be a good time for Mike Rodolfo to go like days between at bats uh, on a major league bench. So with that situation with him being out of options, it just seems like you know you you hope he shows well in spring training, but it, it, it seems like he'd kind of be a decent candidate for a trade because I it seems like it'd be really hard for them to give him a fair opportunity at the major league level, and obviously they can't hold him, and obviously he's got a little bit too much talent to pass through waivers and sit in triple a like this this is kind of why the system's designed because uh you know teams that are in contention mode aren't supposed to be able to hold uh prospects in, in uh stasis forever so it, it seems like the situation would probably force their hands to kind of see what his value is and it, you know make him may, maybe make him a part of a, a, a larger deal than making well that see that's where i was going next i, I wonder if if he is of a talent level that in your mind, would be included in a deal, or is Mike Rodolfo a not necessarily standalone, but maybe a headliner in whatever move does get made for him? Or too early, or if that's just too early to tell, then you can just tell me to move on to the next question. Uh, you know, yeah, it is a little too early to tell, but also I think 
you know, I, he's not going to be like a standalone to get like a starting second baseman. But if sure. you're maybe getting like a single year of control, of like a middle reliever or something like that, or, uh, you know, somebody else who's in a similar like block situation, but could, you know, pitch in the sixth or seventh inning for you for another team, ideally for a rebuilding team that definitely wants like a project to just throw out in right field and give him a bunch of at bats and see if he cranks 20 homers. Uh, yeah, I, I could see you getting like a contributor for him. Uh, with you know, maybe you have to throw in another lesser prospect on top of it to kind of make it whole. But I, I, I definitely don't think he's like a centerpiece or like this big um, trade ship to float. But yeah, definitely, there's a team out there that wants to give him opportunity and you know might have something someone else who's in a similar spot that they can't really house uh, effectively. In, in lieu of talking any lockout here, uh, as as we wrap things, I I wanted to ask what's next for the Sox once the lockout ends. And I guess in my head, James, I I really want to know what priority one for the White Sox is once the gas pedal gets smashed down to the floor in Major League Baseball. But I would have to guess that, I don't know if this is the way you're lacking looking at it, but with every team, it can't be just one priority. With the, with the window that we're going to have, with the quickness that you're going to have to get back to regular business, everything, or at least five things, get pushed to top priority once we get back to working order, Right. I would think, um, you know, my guess would be that, you know, free agency is the um, finite resource, right? You can't be waiting around to try to figure out a trade for, like, Kirk Kimbrough or something like that while all the right fielders are going off the board. Uh, like, that's the market that really didn't move a ton and has a lot of options still um, before the lockout. So I, I think you kind of have to key in on what you're doing right there before, you know, basically all the dance partners are taken and, you know, shortly after that, would be kind of figuring out what you can do second base. I don't really like much of the free agent options available for them other than like a stopgap. And, you know, if you're doing that, you know, is, is that a lot better than what you already have in house uh, would, would be a legitimate question. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's not something you rush on. Maybe it's something you wait for the market to kind of really crater if that's the option you're going, which I don't think they will. But I, I would think it's kind of, solve add a bat for you know the DH or right field uh, in free agency and then like start possibly as most as possible because there's more than one person who works in the White Sox front office you know uh you know work out what's going to be your deal to acquire uh, a second baseman James appreciate it as always looking forward to talking next time more about Chris Bryant or Michael Conforto rumors to the White Sox and uh and, and getting back to the 40 men uh, we should be so lucky. Uh, we probably wind up talking about our favorite coffee brands. Yeah, like that. That's a pretty good conversation, too. James, appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. James Fegan of The Athletic, one of our favorites here on the show. Uh, and the man is an award-winning sports writer, and for good reason. You can upgrade your game day experience this season. The Guaranteed Rate Club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage. Ticket packages start at 20 games. They include flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. More White Sox Weekly when we come back. we got the news and notes. The Sox have signed two players. That's next, ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's Home for Sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2, and ESPN 1000. Now, on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight. White Sox Weekly now brings you live correspondence from the far realms of the baseball universe. Everything from seams to batteries, and anything from cash considerations to dirty inning situations. Here's young Connor McKnight. 
Thanks, Joe. It's the news and notes segment here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, obviously, the lockout still in effect, and we'll get to a couple of details about that in a second. But that doesn't mean that you can't sign minor league players. The White Sox signed two to minor league deals over the last 24 hours. Wes Benjamin and Patrick Kivlihan are now White Sox players. Benjamin's joining his second club. He's a former fifth-round pick, made it to the majors for the first time in 2020, a 484 ERA across 22 and a third innings, and kind of a kind of a hybrid um, multi-inning relief kind of thing. He'd come out there for the last out and then back out for the next three sort of deal. Obviously just 22 and a third in his uh, first major league season in 2020. Last year was a little rough, kind of lost his control and and couldn't quite get the swings and strikes that he wanted to. He's 28 years old. Kivlahan, a little bit older. Um, he was a uh, big part of the of, of, a, of a roster in 2017 for the Reds, 204 plate appearances. He's 32, a lot of experience at AAA. And as we were talking about earlier, with um, 40-man rosters being locked out right now, should a AAA season start during the lockout, you're going to need more players to fill in at that AAA level because you'll have 15 guys ineligible to play again because of the lockout. So Benjamin and Kivland could be some of those guys. Also this. Joe Sheehan is one of my favorite baseball reads. Uh, I've been talking to him on the radio for a long time. I read his stuff. You should, too. Um, just good. I think it's just JoeSheehan.com. Smart dude. Good baseball writer. And he was he's tweeted a lot about the lockout over the last couple of weeks, obviously. And most of uh, the baseball writers have. But he kind of threw out something that I thought was interesting. And, and he said, you know, it was four or five days ago. He just kind of said, I'm, I'm tired of the lockout. I can't, you know, and I don't want to keep on doing this. So I'm taking a break today. But I wanted to tweet out something that I'm going to be writing for an upcoming newsletter. So he tweeted this. And I thought it would be very interesting for White Sox fans. And we'll probably dig back into it next week on the show. So here's what Sheehan writes. Because we have half an offseason yet to play out, I haven't gotten serious about projections. By that, he means all the free agents that have yet to sign and will sign as soon as the lockout's over. Sheehan continues. I know I'll have the White Sox running away with the AL Central. And I think they'll project as the best team in the league, edging out the Tampa Bay Rays. The White Sox have been building toward this season for some time. If it takes another starter or hitter, another $35 million on the payroll, if it takes blowing past the tax threshold to put the finishing touches on the roster, they should do it. This will be their best team since they won the World Series in 2005. That's Joe Sheehan, and you can find him on Twitter at Joe Sheehan. Smart baseball writer. And not just because of his opinions on what the 2022 White Sox could be. I share them, um, and I do kind of look forward to what's coming next for the Sox. And this lockout has been, you know, there's a handful of ball clubs that are ready to kind of take that next step, right? See those young kids really develop into superstars. We see their, you know, budding stars turn into superstars like Luis Robert, that kind of thing. Somebody tweeted in or twitched into the show, uh, the Waddle and Sylvie show that I was in on just the other day. It looks like it'll take maybe four seasons for Luis Robert to even get a chance at his first 162-game season. And if games are canceled this year, that'll be the case. And that's just kind of wild, really wild to think about. Uh, one more thing before, a couple more things before we get out of here. Julio Cruz, a big part of the 1983 White Sox AL West championship team, uh, passed away earlier this week. 
Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, White Sox chairman, released a statement. Sox fans will always remember him dashing across home plate with the division clinching run. The White Sox organization sends its heartfelt condolences to Julio's family and many friends. Thought we'd take a second to hear that highlight on White Sox Weekly. Dale Crandall is going to bring the infield in. The outfield is shallow. Vandenberg will work from the stretch. And that is into shallow center. It's just for the run. Cruz tags. Here's the catch. Here comes the throw. Here comes Cruz. And that's for the Ray. The Chicago White Sox, the 1983 Western Champions in the American League. Cruz was 67 and provided a lot of excitement there. Two more notes. Uh, Ryan McGuire is moving on from his position as executive producer of White Sox Baseball. Can't say enough good things about what he did for the White Sox radio network. A lot of the things you've heard, most of the cool stuff that's been on is a lot to do with Ryan McGuire. Uh, he's moving on to bigger and better things, staying within the company, and was just a, an enormous part of our first season here on ESPN 1000 and the White Sox Radio Network. So a huge thank you to him. Feel better, Rupert, and we will uh, have the hockey show next. The boys are up. It's ESPN 1000.